Welcome to Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel, with helpful travel tips, news and events, destination profiles, great stories, and expert advice from seasoned and experienced traveling anglers. This is your backstage pass to the world of fishing travel. Waypoints is fueled by adventure and brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing, a hands-on specialty travel and booking company that delivers the industry's very best insider knowledge, logistical support, and trip preparation. Freshwater or saltwater, international or domestic, Yellow Dog has you covered. And now your host, Yellow Dog founder and director, Jim Klug. It's been an interesting time in our country since COVID-19, what some are referring to as the coronavirus, first appeared in Wuhan, China in December of 2019. Months later, coronavirus has now been detected in more than 100 countries, including the United States. We know that coronaviruses are a large family of viruses that are common in both people and many different species of animals, including camels, cattle, cats, and especially bats. Occasionally, these viruses cause illness, ranging from the common cold to more severe diseases such as Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, known as MERS, and Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, which we also know as SARS. The novel coronavirus, COVID-19, is a new strain that, prior to December, had not been previously identified in humans. We're dedicating this episode of Waypoints to the emerging coronavirus situation, and specifically what this means for the traveling angler in the weeks and months ahead. We're not going to sugarcoat the situation, and we're not going to downplay the seriousness of what's going on. What we are going to do, however, is have a balanced discussion that focuses on the reality of what is actually happening today. We're joined on the program by two guests who can help us discuss and better understand this rapidly evolving situation. In the first part of the episode, we'll be joined by Gary Leenan, who has worked for more than 30 years overseas in the health field and is an experienced field expert in epidemiology related to disease outbreaks. This is a guy who knows a thing or two about epidemics. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Kimberly Frankie, the owner of Kana Travel and a previous guest, Kimberly is an expert in the realm of travel and trip insurance. She'll be talking to us about how coronavirus and the COVID-19 situation is affecting travel insurance and how coverage plays out with these new scenarios and developments. But before we get started with our guests, however, I do want to say two important things. First off, COVID-19 is a rapidly evolving situation, and we know that information and data on the virus can and will change on a daily basis. There is definitely a timestamp on some of the things that we'll talk about on this show, but we're addressing what we know to be true at the present time. Secondly, my guests today are not infectious disease specialists or medical doctors, and it goes without saying that I'm also not a doctor. In fact, with the exception of having run through the Army Combat Medic course many years ago, my own medical knowledge is pretty limited. While my guests do have relevant experience, however, they have great perspectives, they have valuable advice that relates to this situation. But that said, I don't want people emailing me because they've taken issue with anything that we discuss on this episode. This entire situation is fluid, it's evolving, and it's changing rapidly. We know this. We get it. Regardless, we're going to tackle this subject and talk about it anyway. 
I would strongly encourage every one of our listeners to stay updated and collect their information from legitimate medical sources and sites. And no, I'm not talking about the yelling heads on Fox News or CNN. Look to the medical professionals for advice and information as this situation continues to develop. Having said that, let's uh, get the statements behind us. Let's jump right in with our first guest. Gary Lenin has been in the public health sector for over 30 years, and for the past 25 years, he's been with the United States Agency for International Development as a health officer in Uganda, South Sudan, Tanzania, Rwanda, Angola, Ethiopia, Liberia, Cameroon, Kenya, the list is long. He's an expert in epidemiology related to disease outbreaks and a member of the Global Health Council. Needless to say, Gary has seen a lot of crazy things in a lot of crazy places, and he knows what he's talking about. So, Gary, thanks for being here today, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. Ta, tell us a little bit more about your background and kind of how you got into this field. Well, I grew up in a very small town in northeast Iowa, and upon graduating uh, from what is now University of Northern Iowa, I was invited to join the Peace Corps. I spent three years after my bachelor's degree working in a community health outreach program in Northwest India. In 1971, I returned to the United States and I entered the Masters of Public Health program at the University of Texas in the Houston Medical Center uh, my specialization was international health and epidemiology. Well, you've had quite a career. There's no doubt about it. And, and reading your intro, you have been all over the world uh, when it comes to public health and epidemiology, disease outbreaks. Uh, you've got quite a resume on this. Let's get to the big question right away. In your opinion, Gary, how bad is the present COVID-19 situation? What are we looking at here? We are looking at a brand new virus infecting people, um, and none of us, uh, humans, have any resistance or experience with this virus. So it is going to jump from human to human rather rapidly. What we have seen is a very typical epidemiological infectious curve. Let's look at Italy. They start with four or five cases three days later. They're at 9 or 12, three days later, they double. It's doubling every three days in Italy to where they are now over 4,000 cases in less than a month. And that's because this is new. That is correct. It's new. And as I said, we have no immunity at all to this new virus. Which is what essentially makes it different than some of the flu strains we deal with on an annual basis during influenza season. That's they come and go. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, Gary. You've had experience with SARS, MERS, Ebola, some pretty nasty stuff over your career. You've seen a lot over the years. Are we overreacting to this present situation? Or more specifically, is the, is the press overreacting to this situation? Jim, I believe the press is looking at it as sensationalism. It makes for their headlines. I don't recommend people listen to the press or the political leadership in this country. What we want to focus on are the 
epidemiologists like Dr. Fauci at uh, NIH or the director of the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta. Let's get our information from the American specialists. And we, we have some of the best epidemiologists in the world, and that's, that's where we should focus our attention. Well, I think that brings up a good point. I mean, I heard a statement the other day that basically talked about how at this present time, Americans need to be taking their medical advice, not from the press, but from legitimate sources and outlets. And you just mentioned a couple of those, uh, WHO, CDC. Uh, these organizations are doing a good job of, of updating information and, and putting it out there. And they're doing an excellent job of tracking the COVID-19 um, the virus, as it erupts in various locations, what we would might like to call hot spots. There's been one in uh, just outside of Seattle, Washington, in an old folks' home. There's been another hot spot in New Rochelle, New York. And listen to your, <laughs> your professionals <laughs> for advice. Well, that's great. So I want to read you the statement, Gary, and then get your comments on it. And this is, quote, Epidemics are framed and shaped, sometimes advanced and sometimes hindered, by how a given society understands a particular microbe to infect and spread to others, end quote. Do the health experts that we just talked about, do those that are calling the shots here in the U.S. understand what we're dealing with right now? Yes, they do. And, um, a former colleague of mine is Dr. Anthony Fauci from the um, National Institutes of Health. He's, he dealt with the Ebola outbreak in Africa and the Ebola patients that were brought back here for treatment. Uh, epidemiologists in the United States understand exactly um, what we're dealing with. Um, they're maybe a bit hampered at the moment because we don't have the adequate number of test kits to assess the, the severity of these hot spots. Well, we're seeing uh, the doctor on the news quite a bit. He seems to more and more becoming the face of this situation. Yes. And, and you're telling us that's a good thing. This is a that's, man we can trust and have faith in. Absolutely. Well, I, I read that not only was there a swift identification of the causative coronavirus in question, Gary, but within a very short period of time, scientists were able to figure out which protein would make for the best vaccine product to deal with this in the long run. That said, though, at the present time, there is no vaccine to protect against COVID-19, no medications directly approved to treat it. How soon, in your opinion, and I know you're not a doctor, but you've dealt with this for decades, how soon before we see something along the lines of a vaccine for COVID-19? Based on previous coronavirus outbreaks, it will take a at minimum of a year, most likely a year and a half, to develop an effective vaccine for this uh, virus, for COVID-19. Uh, most people have seen pictures of COVID-19. It appears like a little round ball with little antenna sticking up. And then on top of the these little antenna are uh, a myriad of little tiny projections. Those are the protein of the virus. So imagine that as a very complicated key that sits there. And what has to be developed is the lock. 
And that's what the vaccine does, is it fits precisely over the COVID-19 protein, and then it clicks. It literally locks and inactivates the virus. So this is a very complicated (laughs) procedure. We first have to have trial vaccines through mice, then we move to uh, monkeys, and if everything works along the way, we would then introduce trials in humans. But all too often what happens is we get to the monkey stage and it doesn't work. So we're back to the drawing board with designing a new lock. Well, and and obviously what you're saying is we're not going to get this next month, but clearly there's a lot of smart people working on this and it will be forthcoming at some point in the future. Yes, it will. Um, just you have to be patient. It, it will most likely be, uh, as I said, a minimum of a year, most likely a year and a half before we have a vaccine available. And as you mentioned, we don't have any specific medications that treat COVID-19. That's uh, obviously been a, a topic of conversation we're hearing a lot about in the news. And you know, speaking of the news, it seems like as a country, Gary, we're, we're handling this kind of sensationalism, it, more like kind of the latest weather event, as you would see on one of the cable news networks, you know, or, or a geopolitical standoff. And it's almost as if we're all hoping this is going to be over in a matter of weeks. Now, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, clearly this is a, is a big deal. I mean, do we, in your opinion, see this situation? And I'm not talking about necessarily the spread or, or COVID-19 itself, but do we see the overall situation dissipate or begin to disappear as we head into the warmer months of summer? <laughs> That's a big unknown. And um, we could look back at other viruses and what their history has been when a new virus has infected people. Often in the hotter months of summer, there's a diminishing infectious uh, rate of infection. But that can be misleading because in several instances, that virus has then returned the next fall and winter with ravaging uh, uh, effects. I mean, same with influenza. Yes, it is. We see that as seasonal in the summer months. It goes down. The fall comes. We get our flu shots. Back comes the flu. It's a repeating process. So, uh, what you're saying is, while the, the effects of this and, and the spike in numbers may in fact be seasonal, the fact that we're going to hit this summer doesn't mean it's going to be gone. No, it will not be gone. It's increasing in its distribution worldwide. Uh, just, I think yesterday, the World Health Organization classified COVID-19 as a pandemic. It went from epidemic, which is considered by, which is the definition of a country exposed having a widespread uh, disease to multiple countries having widespread disease. So we're in a pandemic stage now. And I I read uh, this morning, as a matter of fact, that one of the reasons that they they changed the category was to basically say to the countries, hey, this is serious. Pay attention. Get your act together. Start mobilizing to deal with this on the local level. And don't think this is going to go away right away. 
That's correct. All right. Well, let me ask you this. You know, the epidemic seems to be affecting different countries in different ways. You talked about some of the hot zones. And I'm going to show how little I know about medicine right here, okay, especially <laughs> viruses. But we've got China, Korea, Italy, Iran. You talked about some areas in North America, the Seattle area, um, uh, an area in New York State. Um, you know, these are kind of colder areas. They're in the midst of winter right now. We look at the numbers, all right, of, all the, of the 100 plus countries that have it. We look at some more of the tropical countries, and we're not seeing those hot zones or those spike in numbers. Is there anything to this as far as colder weather versus the tropical weather, and you know, regardless of the time of year? No, I don't believe it's based on weather. I think it is just completely based on where infected people have landed from international flights or have returned from an area and with an exposure and have subsequently infected multiple people around them. Uh, I believe by the, by the fall of this year, you're going to see a pretty much flattening of COVID-19 across the world. There will be subsequent hotspots in in countries all over the world. Many countries in sub-Saharan Africa don't have the capability of testing for or monitoring for COVID-19. So the cases there will present as uh, influenza, bad colds, uh, pneumonias, uh, and there'll be a higher mortality rate from them. But even then, that's often not recorded. There are only about th three, four countries in the whole African continent that are capable of doing the correct epidemiological work and testing. That's South Africa, Nigeria, where CDC has a, a, a branch, Kenya, Egypt, Morocco, Tunisia. But otherwise, th those countries, particularly in south of the Sahel, don't have any of the epidemiological um, advantages, uh, the trained people, uh, nor do they have the testing ability. Well, let me ask you this, because you talked about some of the, the other um, sicknesses. Uh, older people and people of all ages with severe underlying health conditions like heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, for example... These are the groups that seem to be at a higher risk of developing serious COVID-19 illness. Is, is this a virus? Is, is this an old person's disease? Or what are we looking at as far as that goes? It's certainly not an old person's disease, but it is especially fatal for older people. China and the Wuhan experience with COVID-19 um, we have over 80,000 cases. We have over two, close to 3,000 deaths. The average age of death from COVID-19 in the Wuhan area of China was 81 years. So these are people who maybe smoked a pack and a half of I, cigarettes. I was just going to ask you about that, too. <laughs> For 35 years. Right. There are many of them in the United States. You see them in wheelchairs with their little oxygen in their nose. And 
they wheeze and they cough. And I'm, I've seen people in old folks' homes remove their oxygen to light up a cigarette and smoke it. Compromised lungs are one of the biggest risks an older person has. That plus heart disease, um, underlying causes like diabetes uh, or other long-term ailments put this particular population at a, at a very high risk of dying from COVID-19. Whereas younger people, when we think of like the 20 to 50-year-old who are healthy, the COVID-19 will more manifest itself like a common cold. And only a f- small percentage of, say, that age group goes on to a, a severe pneumonia and have to be intubated and breathed. And even then, there'll be a small number of deaths in that group. And it seems like the really young, say, 2 to 14-year-olds, don't even, uh, don't even manifest uh, much symptoms from the COVID-19. You can't distinguish it from just a kid having a, a runny nose. So, so the scary thing here is that the kids and the millennials really are about to take over the world, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Um, we're now seeing people, obviously, who have not traveled. They can't be linked to those who have had the virus. Um, all of a sudden, we're seeing people that have no link whatsoever that are testing positive in different parts of our country and obviously different parts around the world. What do these random cases tell you about how long COVID-19 may have already been here in the U.S. And is there a chance that this has been circulating for months? I mean, we're now seeing higher numbers, uh, but is that due to the fact that we're now testing more people? Yes, it's really a factor in the number of people who are tested. And as they are the denominator uh, for COVID-19 and the number of people infected are the numerator, as you test and test more people, you are going to come down to what is an infectious rate. In other words, one person with COVID-19 coughing and sneezing will probably infect, we think, about two to three people. Uh, and then it will, it will spread. It's just like popcorn going off in a kettle. <laughs> Well, let me ask you about this, and, and I certainly don't want to, um, you know, make light of, of uh, what's happened in Wuhan and, and the deaths that have already occurred there. You mentioned the fact that, um, you know, the average age of the fatality in that particular area was 81 years old. Um, the fatality rate of COVID-19 so far uh, does appear to be a fraction of that of SARS, which I read online uh, was about 9.6%. MERS, which was high at about 34.4%. Most researchers will tell you it's too early to say what the actual fatality rate of of this new coronavirus of COVID-19 will ultimately be. But I think you brought up an interesting point about China because, you know, older people, you know, factory workers, poor air quality in a lot of these big 15 million person cities in China. And on top of that, you smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. Um, The baseline... I guess my point is, is that baseline kind of skewed from the beginning as far as that fatality rate? Yes, it is. Uh, And it's just 
as you would think of it as the first wave of COVID-19. Fortunately, in China, because only a Chinese government would be able to do this, they've bent the epidemiological curve and flattened it. Uh, But those are very draconian measures, which we're not capable of doing in the United States. Most countries aren't going to take those measures. No, they aren't. That's right. Well, I mean, if if infections are actually higher globally, the more they start testing, the more they start seeing these numbers. And if COVID-19 has, in fact, been circulating maybe for months, we don't know, uh, without people being tested prior to this, does that mean that the overall fatality rate is actually smaller than first reported? Yes, it will, in my opinion... Um, based on what other coronaviruses have done, it will somewhere arrive at around one person per thousand infected dying, between one and two. Still, that's that's a lot, very large number uh, when we think, and the WHO projects that perhaps... 500, 600 million people worldwide will be infected with the, with COVID-19. A, those, uh, are num- those are real numbers. Yeah, those yeah. are real numbers. Yeah. But it's, it's worth mentioning that, I mean, that's similar to influenza, right? Isn't that yes. about one in a thousand fatality rate in influenza, 0.1%? It is. Um, and if to keep things in perspective, the current... Influenza season began in mid-November 2019. We're sitting here now, mid-March 2020. The United States has recorded over 24,000 deaths due to influenza. In that time frame. In that time frame. And that's scary. Those are real numbers. Yes. All right. Well, let me ask you this. And I know you're not sitting here with a crystal ball in front of you, but Gary, how do you see this overall for kind of the, the worldwide situation and for those of us here in America, how do you see this whole situation playing out in the months ahead and as we look into the future? I think we're just seeing the tip of the first wave in the United States and in the world. I believe we are going to see virtually every country and every state within the United States um, report COVID-19 outbreaks. There'll be small, little hot spots. Hopefully, of course, within the United States, we soon should have the ability to do epidemiological testing uh, for people around the hot spots, identifying any positive people and isolating them, hence flattening that epidemiological curve of doubling of cases every three to four days. Um, It's going to be with us for, my guess, is the next year and a half to two years. And we kind of need to prepare for the worst, hope for the best, isolate and self-quarantine people who are positive and bend the epidemiological curve from an exponential rate to a flattened rate. So looking ahead, we're not going to just be dealing with cold and flu season. It's going to be cold, flu, and COVID-19 season. It will be. 
Gotcha. Well, right now, Gary, I want to shift things a little bit and ask you some travel specific questions. Since so many of our listeners are obviously regular travelers, frequent flyers, and people who are going all over the world to fish. We know that already the travel industry is reeling from this situation. I mean, as as the the owner of Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Ventures, I can tell you we are getting kicked in the teeth. Uh, the devastating impacts to to travel and to tourism uh, from COVID nineteen it's shaping up to be greater than the fallout post nine eleven. That certainly the two thousand three SARS outbreak or you know the two thousand nine recession as, as far as what it's going to do. To our industry. And that's largely because of the global nature of this situation. And like all elements of travel, destination and fishing travel is obviously getting hammered. You know, the ripple effects from the trifecta, I would call it, of, of travel restrictions combined with, you know, large scale uh, event and, and crowd situation cancellations. And really what's affecting us most is risk aversion. Uh, it's, it's hurting everyone in the travel business, no doubt about it. Um, the, the SARS ec- epidemic from 2003 cost the world economy somewhere in the tens of billions. And it's sounding like we can expect a much larger loss to the overall world economy uh, this time around with COVID-19. My first travel-specific question to you, assuming that I'm a healthy person, um, that I do not have the pre-existing conditions or high-risk conditions we just talked about, if I have an international fishing trip planned for the, the weeks or months ahead, do I need to cancel my international trip? Do we all need to hunker down underground, or, or where are we with this? Jim, we don't need to cancel our international plans or even our travel plans within the United States. There are some very simple measures everyone should now be taking to protect themselves and they are wash your hands with soap and water regularly i often say wash your hands with soap and water times 10 in it while you're washing with soap and water it could be any soap hum happy birthday to yourself this puts you in the habit of washing your hands for about 20 to 25 seconds. Since you will be washing your hands regularly, put a small bottle of hand lotion so you don't end up with irritated hands. When you travel, take some disposable wipes. They are often these little baby wipes that are flushable. Open the package and add enough Isopropyl alcohol, it comes in 91%, it comes in 70%. 70% will work, 91% will work even better. Wet the wipes with 91% alcohol. Wipe down hard surfaces around you. So imagine you're entering a plane. Take one of your wipes, wipe down the tray table. The armrests. The armrests, open the tray table, wipe that surface all hard surfaces, and dispose of the tissue. Carry a small package of Kleenex with you. If you're going to cough or sneeze, or if somebody seated across (laughs) the aisle from you is coughing and sneezing, offer them several Kleenexes. Sneeze into a Kleenex, cough into a Kleenex. If you don't have them, cough into the... The crook of your arm. The crook of your arm. 
our sneeze there. These simple measures just work. I know they do, they sound simple, but they work. They help you from being uh, inadvertently, from you inadvertently infecting yourself. Face masks, no. The, the simple face masks that you see. Everybody's wearing, wearing them on the news. They yeah. do not protect you from getting the COVID-19 virus. And they don't protect others if you happen to be positive. The only masks that are effective are class N95s. And they should only be worn if you are infected to keep you from infecting others, or if you are caring for an infected individual and you want to avoid being infected. If you're a medical specialist, if you're, as they say, in the yes. arena caring yes. for people, if you're a nurse, that's where it works. Yeah, if you're a nurse or a doctor in emergency rooms, if you're working with people on wards where that you have contained people with COVID-19, yes, but... Well, you you and you were nice enough. You brought a simple kit here into the studio. This is pretty basic stuff. <laughs> you've got your alcohol. You've got a bar of soap. You've got a little thing of hand lotion, and you've got the alcohol wipes. And and this is a great travel kit, right? Those yes. those four things. You take them with you, whether you're flying, driving, traveling halfway around the world, traveling close to home. This is just a common mm -hmm. sense kit to have, and a pack of. Tissues. Uh, it was clean. A little small package thing, of tissues. Package of tissues. So this is really good advice. And and it's pretty simple stuff. I mean, honestly, we probably all should have been doing this well before this issue presented itself because that's just a, a good way to stay healthy throughout the, the cold and flu season, now the COVID-19 season. Um, so we talked a little bit about international travel. Um, what about fishing domestically in places like Montana, Alaska, the Gulf Coast of Louisiana? Any big difference as far as being safer, or is it kind of all the same? It's going to level out and be pretty much all the same. While we have uh, many countries not even reporting a case yet, that doesn't mean COVID-19 is not there. Uh, what one wants to avoid is going to an area that we would call a hot spot where there's been a, a large uh, outbreak, a, outbreak of high numbers, high numbers of COVID-19. Stay away from there. Uh, Don't go fishing in Wuhan. Yeah. Don't, yeah. <laughs> stay away from cruise ships. Yes. Stay away from Iran. Yeah. yeah. Do not take a cruise on a cruise ship. They're just excellent incubators. A floating Petri dish. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Luckily, uh, cruise ships and fly fishing for our listeners don't really go hand in hand. So that's a, a, a total different demographic. Um, and, you know, the biggest question I'm getting, Gary, from all of our clients on a daily basis now is, you know, pertains to the risk of flying on an airplane. And the more we read about it and what you were just saying, there are measures you can take. There are basic rules uh, about air travel. They, they were applicable before this, and they're certainly applicable now. But uh, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong on a couple of these statements, um, it's not the cabin air in an airplane that you need to worry about. They have great filtration systems. Um, that's not the issue. It's keeping your hands clean is the issue. It's keeping your hands clean. Remember to take your little alcoholic wipes if you go to the toilet in the, in the aircraft. Use them to open the door, close the door, 
wipe down the surfaces in in the bathroom. And these are notoriously dirty places anyway. Well, they're yeah. they're places where bacteria or viruses can definitely grow. Uh, there is no one hundred percent way to travel safely in an aircraft unless. You're in one of those big positive air pressure <laughs> suits that people use when they walk into Ebola outbreaks. Uh, and yeah, and you want to scare the hell out of everybody right, else yeah, on the plane, right, walk right. in on one of those. Right, you would. <laughs> uh, so I, no one can guarantee you 100% safety in even traveling in your car or walking outside in the morning and a tree falls on you. Well, we don't worry about that. And... Um, and by the way, the sunnier the places you go to fly fish, uh, the sunshine kills viruses. There we go. So salt and, water right there. Right, and salt water. Uh, <laughs> and I was just going to say, I mean, and that was actually my next question. You beat me to it, and it was about visiting tropical destinations where so many fly fishermen love to go. Once you're there, obviously safer where you're in the sun and the heat. Yes, you yeah. are. All right. Well, you know, you mentioned this in the beginning of the show that the World Health Organization just a couple of days ago declared the, the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, to be a pandemic. We talked about why they did that. Does this change what the WHO is doing? And, and does it now change what countries should be doing when we travel and visit these other places? Or I guess my question is, does this mean that now people are finally paying attention in a lot of these far off places? People should be paying more attention. Uh, a pandemic means it is going to touch every country on the globe. And in many of those countries, they will first experience one or multiple hot spots. That's where they will first detect the, the COVID-19. Uh, and then from there, that it will spread out to general populations. Countries like the United States, where we can effectively test around hotspots, identify and self-quarantine individuals who have tested positive but aren't exhibiting a whole lot of symptoms of COVID-19, we will be able to lessen the impact. Um, so I think it's just monitor every, monitor on a daily or every other day basis where COVID-19 is first manifesting itself, and is that a hot spot? Well, that's great advice. I mean, obviously, we're going to see uh, a lot more cases in the U.S. and throughout the world in the coming days and weeks and months. We know that things are going to get crazier and scarier before they get better. Um, but this is is phenomenal advice and, and a great perspective, Gary. Uh, any closing thoughts for our listeners? And, and, and as we finish up with our conversation, we're going to be talking with our next guest, Kimberly Frankie, about how to protect a trip investment. Uh, but let me first, before we move into that category, get your closing thoughts, Gary. Go about your daily business. Don't panic. Take the simple precautionary measures that I talked about earlier. Hand washing, using alcoholic wipes for hard surfaces. Uh, don't visit people who are 
having a cold or a mild pneumonia. Uh, stay, and stay home if you're sick. Yeah, and if you develop what you think is a common cold, stay home. Call your doctor for advice. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. It's uh, refreshing to get, uh, I think, some balanced perspectives on what this whole situation uh, is really doing to to our country and to the world right now. So we really appreciate you sitting with us. I know our listeners appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jim. All right. We're going to now move on to Kimberly Frankie, who's going to be joining us to talk about trip insurance. So, Kimberly, you are the owner of Kana Travel, Bozeman-based Kana Travel. You are uh, an industry expert in the ways of travel insurance, trip insurance, and coverage. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for uh, once again joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. All right. Here's the question for you. How are things in the world of travel insurance this week? <laughs> a little chaotic over the last couple of weeks, actually, but there's some, um, I think it's just a good time to be talking with you and to get some information in front of people. Because that's one of the questions we're getting all the time from people that are, are booking, they're, they're ready to go somewhere, they've got something on the books for the long term. The big question with trip insurance, if people buy a standard policy, are they protected for cancellations that are directly related to the COVID-19 situation? There aren't any insurance, travel insurance policies at this point or prior to this happening that would cover for an epidemic or pandemic or the fear or anticipation of canceling a trip because of that. And additionally, I would add uh, the the travel restrictions associated with uh, government going to a country or coming back from a country. None of those things are covered. No, and they haven't ever been. This isn't something that the insurance company is just coming up with to try to trick people and annoy them. It has, uh, when we saw this happening with SARS, we saw this happening with Zika in Mexico. We saw that quite a bit. Uh, When there were uh, alcohol issues in Costa Rica, those sorts of things has never been has never been an option. Insurance companies are really good at covering themselves in the fine print on these policies Definitely. to say the obvious things are covered, the controllable things or the minimal things are covered, but nothing on the pandemic level. I think that's what we're seeing a lot of frustrated people that say, "Well, what's the point?" or they feel like they've been duped into buying something that they can't use. And the fact is there's still over 28 reasons that are still very good in the base policy of most trip insurance policies and coverages that are well worth purchasing. Give us some examples of those 28. Yeah, examples would be sickness, injury, or death of either yourself, someone you're traveling with, a family member not traveling with you, or a business partner. Some states offer cancellation due to work reasons. So I own my own company. If I plan a trip and then I'm not able to go because of work reasons, that is a covered reason under most insurance policies. Uh, Another one that we see a lot of people using for fly fishing or hunting trips are going to be the cancellation of an activity day, so fishing or hunting, because of weather interruptions. And you're more likely to see those sorts of things occur. Um, Backing it up a bit, coverage for coronavirus is going to be a covered reason if you're sick. Because sickness, cancellation due to sickness, is a covered reason under most insurance policies. So if if you get it, you're covered. If you get it and you can't travel, you're covered. If you get it while you're on trip and you're sick, you're covered. Yeah. You know, I I think the frustrating thing for a lot of traveling anglers and a lot of people traveling in general 
is we always preach the gospel about the importance of having a trip insurance policy. It's yep. there for the unforeseen and the unexpected, exactly. right? So we've had a lot of clients that have, have purchased a package, whether mm-hmm. it was months ago or a year ago for an upcoming trip. Now, all of a sudden, they're not covered and they're frustrated because they're thinking, hey, I listened yeah. to you. I did everything right. I exactly. followed your instructions. I I covered myself for all these unforeseen eventualities. And now all of a sudden I'm not covered for this, this, you know, worldwide situation that is creating havoc and chaos and hysteria all over the planet. I can't go on this trip, but now all of a sudden I'm not covered. Exactly. And we're seeing it go a step further where companies, tour operators, outfitters, lodges are saying, yeah, sorry, our cancellation policy won't even help you. You have to have trip insurance. And so even they're pushing it on to trip insurance and saying, yeah, we don't know the specifics, but you should have trip insurance. Um, cancel for any reason. I know we're going to talk about that. I was just going to ask you about those policies. That's kind of a, a supersized trip insurance policy where uh, that is literally cancel for any reason. How are those types of policies applying to this current COVID situation? Yeah, cancel for any reason is going to be a rider that you add on to an existing policy. It needs to be purchased. Typically, it needs to be purchased at the same time you buy the pay, the base insurance policy. Additionally, it's going to cost extra and it will not cover for 100% of your trip insured costs. Uh, we see it between 50 to 75% reimbursement depending on the insurance company. Uh, it is changing daily, though. The insurance companies did not create this rider in anticipation of this type of a situation. And so we will see over the coming days and weeks that they will change the rules associated with cancel for any reason. The coverage is likely to go down on that. Yeah, we're already seeing insurance companies change the 75% coverage. So that's where you could cancel your trip for any reason. Um, and then receive up to a 75% reimbursement. We're seeing that change now to 50% for some insurance companies, and we fully expect it to go away in the coming months if things continue to trend, because insurance companies did not set up this product for this particular scenario. Yeah, clearly. I don't think anybody really no. saw this coming. No. So based on all these events, because you're, you know, you're still booking travel logistics for people that have trips planned for the fall for 2021 you know what are you telling your travelers and your clients with regard to the question of should i stay or should i go yeah that's a great question because not to quote the clash on that but it's a good right right yeah the um i think the the scariest perhaps place people are in are for those people who are traveling within the next 60 to 90 days They're really unsure. Information is changing daily. They're in a situation where perhaps they're asking questions and they're not getting answers. And so for those travelers, I would say you really need to gather the facts and make a decision from there. It will be changing daily. But if you have the information in front of you and understand the cancellation policy of your airfare, lodging, activities, additionally understand the coverage that can come through trip insurance, then you're going to be in a better position to make a decision at the time you need to. There are a lot of people that are offering the option and trip insurance does also where you can push back your travel dates. So perhaps you're not traveling when you anticipated, but you can push them back for say next year and your trip insurance coverage can also cover for that trip. And I know we're seeing that a lot with Mm -hmm. our lodges where we're sending anglers. Um, They're 
unfortunately having to stick to their terms where they can't, mm-hmm. especially in the next you know 90 days in this yeah. near term window, just grant full refunds. I mean, they would be out of business. But we're from the part of Yellow Dog and, and on behalf of our clients, we're pushing hard for a trip credit to roll things over to a future date. More lodges, as they realize that, hey, this is a bigger deal than we thought, are starting to come around to doing that. Not all of them. Some of them just financially can't do it. And they're saying, look, we're sorry, but if we do that, we won't be in business. So it becomes a moot point. But more and more lodges are saying, okay, we can't do refunds, but we will roll your trip dates over Mm -hmm. for a future trip credit. Again, understanding exactly what you're out for and what you're going to be, what your what your options are to be able to make a good decision from there. Make some common sense decisions. If you're not in a situation where you're part of the um, the at risk group, or perhaps you're in a position where you have more time to travel, or you can make changes, then go ahead and look at those options because not everybody's going to fit into the same. Um, scenario. For travelers that are booking in the future, I definitely recommend at this point looking at what trip insurance can offer you and the importance of understanding that at the time you make a trip deposit. I think there's awesome opportunities to plan travel for the future. I think there's a lot of places that are still very busy and that will, I know for a fact, places in uh, the Seychelles that are, are booked out next year. And so people right now are looking at 2022 dates. And so just making sure that you understand exactly what coverage you can have um, at the time you're putting money down. Well, let's let's shift this conversation just a little bit. Tell me what's going on with the airlines. And I mean, this is, again, a situation that's changing daily. But what are we seeing with regard to costs and adjustments to cancellation policies, change fees? I know we could talk for probably hours about mm-hmm. what's happened just in the last 48 hours. Yeah. But um, give us a quick overview of the international and domestic airline situation. Yeah, I think... Um Definitely working with a travel agent is a great idea. I'm always going to plug that because we have the buying power and we have the the connections within the industry to get you answers relatively quickly versus being on hold with an airline for up to six hours. We're seeing that happen. Um, A quick story is my husband was precious enough to book some tickets on Expedia for us and uh, we now have to cancel them. We're not going to be able to travel because of work. And I have been on hold and hung up up on over uh, the last two days. Your husband knows you're a travel agent. What's he <laughs> doing on Expedia? What's he doing, right? And I said, see, this is why you always work with a travel agent. We had a guy yesterday call us. He wasn't be able to travel the next day. We had everything canceled and refunded within about an hour. So it definitely is a good idea to make that investment and to talk to people who are talking about these sorts of things daily. We're not just plugged into domestic travel or international travel, but we're looking at the global travel industry and getting updates every single day as they happen. Um, For those clients who are booking direct, go ahead and make sure you understand what you're in for. Is there a cancellation fee if you have to change your plans? Most domestic carriers are waiving those. Some international carriers are also waiving those. What that means is if you buy a ticket and you change the travel dates, you won't be penalized for making that change. Yeah. So are we seeing, and an, you know, I don't want to say, oh, but there's a silver lining, but honestly, are we seeing rates come down? Is it a good time to book tickets now for future travel? 
I think, again, if you know what you're in for, it's a great time to be looking at traveling, perhaps not right away or perhaps right away. We've seen some incredible deals come through for people who can leave next week, take advantage of these packages that would usually be extremely expensive and not at all within their price range. And they've been able to get great deals on tickets and really good deals on the accommodations. So it's a great time to take advantage of that. I'm also starting, we're seeing a lot of people travel to Belize. And uh, for example, we had a client who we quoted last week for flights and they went down $200 just within the one week. So, you know, people are afraid. They're saying, what if they cancel my flights? The news is reporting that airlines are canceling a lot of flights, but they're not really bringing a lot of context to it. The facts are that the flights that they're canceling aren't the flights that have people on them. They're canceling the flights, you know, that are between Casper, Wyoming and Denver. And these these really small routes that don't usually have people, you know, in the planes. Yeah. Well, that's that's great yeah. advice. So bottom line, Kimberly, what can people be doing to protect their, their travel and trip investments, both for the near future or if they're booking a year out because they want to secure great spots at a top destination? What are you recommending? Just ask really good questions. Just keep thinking, okay, what do I need to know? And ask the people that you're working with the professionals in the industry, if there's something you're not asking, what you should be asking right now so that you can make the best decision. Of course, we always come back to understanding what your cancellation policy is for either the the accommodation, the airfare, the trip insurance that you're buying so that you can make decisions. And make sure you're working with people that can keep a calm, cool head. Um, you know, work with people that are an advocate for you, that provide solutions and tools so that you can make a decision as a traveler that's not based on the hype that's going around, but that really is based on, you know, the the knowledge they have within the industry they work in. Well, great advice. And as always, we really appreciate you sitting with us and and telling our listeners, you know, what, what the realities of, of travel today are all about. So Kimberly, how can people listening get in touch with you and your team? Yeah, so we're located in Bozeman, Montana, um, Kana Travel Services, K-A-N-N-A, and you can reach us, uh, you can go to our website and find our contact information, it's kanatravel.com. Well, great. Well, as always, thanks for being here and, and keeping us up to speed and yeah. up to date. Thanks for having me, Jim. Well, that's it for this episode of Waypoints, the podcast that is 100% dedicated to travel, adventure, and exploration. Friends, we know that this is a very tough time for the travel and tourism industry, and it's conf- it's a confusing time to actually be a world traveler. But remember the importance of keeping things in perspective. Be sure to do your homework, because no matter what the cable news is pumping out 24-7, facts and common sense do matter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the water. This has been another episode of Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel and adventure angling. Thank you for joining us and be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com for more trip updates, travel news, expert advice, and adventure profiles. Mm-hmm.